This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now. Amen. Thank you, church, for for your giving. Uh, We kicked off our Lottie Moon giving uh, season really last Sunday was our, our, our in-gathering service, which kind of kicks us off in this season of, of Lottie Moon giving. Uh, so we are moving towards our goal. We're already at about $35,000 now. Our eventual goal um, is sixty. so we're well over uh, halfway there as we continue to give uh, Sunday by, by Sunday uh, to reach all peoples uh, with the message of of Christ. So last week uh, we began a, a new series, Characters of Christmas. We talked about the wise men last week, and today we're going to move to uh, some other characters of Christmas, and that is the angels, which are messengers from God. So we're going to lo- be looking at a bunch of scriptures uh, from Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, but I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, and let's look there at verses 8 through 15. Luke chapter 2 and verses 8 through 15. What can we learn from the angels in the Christmas story? Follow along in your copy of God's Word. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so Father, as we think about the angels in the Christmas story and and think about their vocation, that they were sent by you with a message from you, we understand that we have something in common with the angels, and that is that you've, you've, you've sent us, and you call us to, to sin still more, which is what our, our Lottie Moon offering is all about, um, giving so that others can be sent to, to people around the world who desperately need to hear the good news of the gospel. But Lord, you have sent us as well to our community, to the places where we work, places we go to school, to the people that we interact with, and you've sent us with a message of good news. And so Lord, teach us today to be on mission for you as your angels were and are. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Last Sunday, 
afternoon, I received a text from one of our former pastors here at First Baptist, 90-some-year-old J.C. Mitchell. And uh, Dr. Mitchell was thrilled because he said, this morning I met Steve Saint. And I knew immediately who he was talking about. Steve Saint is the son of Nate Saint, one of the five missionaries who were martyred in the jungles of Ecuador in January of, of 1954. Um, and it brought to mind an article that I had read by Steve Saint about what happened that day when his, when his father and, and Jim Elliott and three others were, were, were martyred. What, what eventually happened, and many of you know the story, is that after these five missionaries were killed by these Indians, their wives continued to pray for and love on this tribe of Indians and, and eventually were able to penetrate this primitive tribe of people with the gospel to the point that some of the, the very men who did the killing of their husbands eventually came to Christ. And Steve Saint, who JC met last Sunday, was eventually able to baptize one of the men who killed his father. But the killers told the story about that, that day. First of all, they, they shared about how they came out of the jungle with the missionaries with spears, a very primitive tribe. They only had spears. Well, the missionaries had guns, but the missionaries had made a pact among themselves that they would never shoot any of the Indians that they had come to win for Christ. And so the missionaries only fired their guns straight up in the air to try to scared the Indians away unsuccessfully, and, and they allowed themselves to be speared, to be killed that day. And then these killers who later came to Christ told this story. After the killings, they heard a sound they had never heard before, and it was coming from above. And they looked up above the treetops and they, they saw what they described as lights in the sky that were uh, darting around, almost like fireflies. And then they heard this beautiful sound coming from above, and it, and it was the sound of angels singing. Well, just as angels hovered above that jungle in Ecuador that day, angels hover above the story of Christmas in both Matthew and Luke. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at these angelic appearances in both of these gospels and then draw some, some takeaways that we can learn from them. We start in Matthew. You may want to turn to, uh, to Matthew 1 uh, as we begin to, to walk through here. So in Matthew 1... First of all, an angel appears to Joseph to give him assurance about Mary's character and the circumstances of her pregnancy and that he should not be afraid to take her as his wife. Matthew 1 and, and verses 20 and 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph does that. He carries out the the command that God has given him through the angel. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. Well, then in Matthew 2, after the visit of the wise men, which we looked at last week, an an angel appears to Joseph a second time, warning him that he and his family are in danger and that they are to flee to Egypt. Chapter 2. And verses 13 and 14, after they, the wise men, were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. And then we see that an angel appears to Joseph A third time, this time telling him that it is safe to return to Israel. Verses 19 and and 20. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel because those who intended to kill the child are dead. And, And Joseph does that. So, Already we see angels impacting the Christmas story here. What what can we learn from these angelic appearances that we've seen so far in Matthew? Well, a couple of things. First of all, angels are sent by God. Angels are sent by God. And secondly, angels bring a message from God. Angels are sent by God, they bring a message from God. In fact, in both the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, the word angel means messenger. Now our culture is fascinated by angels. They pop up on TV shows and movies and songs Our culture is fascinated by angels, but the angels are fascinated by God. And they are especially fascinated by the gospel of God. In 1 Peter 1, Peter is talking about the gospel, the glories of the gospel. And he says in 1 Peter 1.12, even angels long to look into these things. The angels are on the edge of their seats They're like, what is God going to do next? What's going to happen next in this drama of redemption that God is doing? They they long to look into these things. C.S. Lewis, in his his brilliant novel, Out of the Silent Planet, um, in in that novel, uh, Earth is called Tholchondra. And Tholchondra, Earth, has become bent it's become a silent planet and a bent planet. It's, it's bent by sin. And the ultimate bent one is Satan. But Maleldil, who, who is the Christ figure and out of the silent planet, has not given up on Tholchondra 
or the bent ones of the Okandra, you and me, sinners. And he has pulled off an incredible rescue. And at one point in the novel, Edwin Ransom is meeting with angels and the angels tell him this, we think that Maleldil would not give it up utterly to the bent one. And there are stories among us that he has dared terrible things wrestling with the bent one in Tholchandra. But of this we know less than you. It is a thing we desire to look into. It's a reference to 1 Peter 1.12. Even angels desire to look into these things. But in the Christmas story, the angels not only look into the story, the angels become part of the story, and especially in Luke. And so let's turn there next. Turn to Luke 1 and 2. And what do we see there? We start in Luke 1 with the appearance of the angel Gabriel to a priest named Zechariah. So we'll set it up. Zechariah is a priest, the temple in Jerusalem, and his job is to go into the holy place and burn incense. And so one day Zechariah is doing that. He goes into the, the most holy place to burn incense at the altar, and all the people are outside the temple praying, and Zechariah goes into the temple and standing to the side of the altar, he sees this awesome angel, Gabriel. Let's look at Luke 1 and verses 11 and 12. Luke 1 and verses 11 and 12. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. This this angel Gabriel must have been an awesome, an awesome being. Now there's a backstory here. And the backstory is that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were unable to have children. And, and now they were past the age when they would have children. But, but the angel Gabriel has come with good news. Verses 13 and 14. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is going to be the birth of John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for Jesus. And so it's joyous news, but now this conversation kind of goes south because Zechariah doesn't really believe the angel, and Zechariah speaks doubting words to the angel. And the angel responds by saying, until this, because you've spoken doubting words, until this child is born, you're going to be unable to speak. Verses 19 and, and 20, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So what's the takeaway here when you get a message from God? (laughs) Believe it. But we don't have to wait for an angel to deliver that message, right? Because God has already given us his message, the Bible. Believe it. Believe what God says. Now, in Luke 1, Gabriel is a busy angel. (laughs) Because later in the chapter just a little north of Jerusalem and Galilee and at the tiny town of Nazareth, we're gonna meet him once again. And this time he's gonna appear to a young teenage girl named Mary. Verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, what do we see here about the angel? We, we see, we see w- w- once again in verse 26 that the angel is sent by God. Sent by God with a message from God. And so we have something in common with the angels because we too, as disciples, are sent by God, with a message from God, the message of the gospel. Jesus says in John 20, in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He's talking about us. We are sent by God with a message from God. We'll talk more about that later. And now we see Mary's reaction to this in in, in verses 28 and and 29. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Most scholars believe that Mary is just a young teenager at this point. She's been born and raised in this tiny little town of Nazareth, probably never gone very far beyond it. And now there's this awesome angel that has appeared to to her with this incredible news and so like Zachariah she's freaked out (laughs) unlike Zachariah Mary believes verses 30 and following then the angel told her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God now listen you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is a sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So we see Mary's faith here, 
And we also see the thing that can increase our faith. It's, it's, what, it's what the angel says here in verse 37, that, that nothing will be impossible with God. Well, now we fast forward nine months to a starlit shepherd's field outside of Bethlehem in Luke 2 and verses 8 and 9. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But now these heavenly messengers are given the ultimate message to deliver. Verses 10 and 11, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. Who is the Messiah? The Lord. And now this angel is joined by a a host of others. Verses 13 and 14, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And look at the response of the shepherds. When the angels, verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds believe the message, and they act on the message. And that brings us to the first takeaway from this. Believe and act on God's message. Believe and act on God's message. What is the pattern that we've seen throughout these appearances? Joseph believes the word of the Lord mediated through an angel, and he takes Mary to be his wife. Joseph then believes the warning that he receives from the angel and takes his young family and flees to Egypt and then believes the angel a third time and takes his family and returns to Israel. Believes and acts on God's message. Mary believes the message of the Lord delivered through the angel. And she willingly, faithfully takes on the role that God had assigned to her. The shepherds believe the word of the Lord given through the angels. And what do they do? They go. They go and seek out Jesus. They believe and act. Zechariah does not believe and suffers the consequences of that. We are to believe and act on God's message. And again, we're not waiting for angels to deliver that, although they can. We already have the word of God that has been given to us. How much of the message do we believe? The parts that we do. The parts that we do. Jesus says in John 13, 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, 
and verses 24 and following. What does Jesus tell us there? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded on that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. We, we are too believe and act on God's message. Now again, are we waiting for angels to deliver the message? No, we, we have the word of God. That's not to say that angels aren't active today in our lives. They most certainly are. Most of the time, we're unaware of it. There may be times in your life when, when you have been aware of it. Even as I was preparing this message, I was thinking back through the course of my life and, and thinking of the handful of times that I'm pretty certain that angels were either giving protection or direction to me. And I'm sure there are hundreds of times when they were doing that and I was not aware of it. They're at work in, in the world. And especially in parts of the world where they do not have the word of God. In the Islamic world, for instance, at least half, maybe more than half, of the Muslim people that are coming to Christ around the world report that part of their conversion were, was an appearance of angels that were opening, God was using to open the hearts of people who did not yet have Bibles, <clears throat> but God was using his heavenly, heavenly messengers as part of opening their heart in, in preparation to come to Christ. Stories like this. There was a pastor in Iran where there is an incredible move of God that is taking place among Muslims. An Iranian pastor was riding uh, down the road with his wife, remote part of Iran, and they stopped at a convenience store and a, a gas station uh, to get water. They pull up to the, the, the store <clears throat> and they notice that there's a, there's a, a Muslim man with a machine gun that's leaning against the building, long beard, full Islamic dress, holding a machine gun. And the pastor's wife says to him, I have an, a strong impression from the Holy Spirit that you were to give that man a Bible. <laughs> and the husband looks at her and says, uh, okay, takes, takes the Bible, he goes in, gets the water, gets back in the car, and she says, you didn't give him the Bible, did you? He's like, no, I didn't give him the Bible. He pulls off and they begin driving. Wife is still praying fervently, and she says again to her husband, I believe 
that God wants us to turn around and go back and that he wants you to give that man this Bible. The husband turns the car around. They go back to the station. The man is still there, machine gun still in hand, leaning against the building. The pastor gets out of the car and he walks up and he places the Bible in this man's hand. And this Muslim man, machine gun, full beard, begins to weep. And he says to the pastor, I don't live in this town. I live three days walk away from here. Three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me to walk to this town and to wait and someone would give me the book of life. Thank you for giving me this book. This stuff is happening all over the world as God is doing incredible things. Sometimes he uses angels to do that. The second takeaway that I think we need to to, to grab from this is to beware of an anti-supernatural bias. Now you may be thinking, he's obviously talking about somebody else, not me. I'm a believer, I believe in the resurrection of Christ. Obviously I believe in the supernatural. But what we need to understand is that we are more influenced by our culture than what we realize sometimes. And our culture has an anti-supernatural bias. And it's a weird culture because it's fascinated by things like angels, but yet at the same time, our culture is very materialistic and naturalistic. And it's all about what we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands. And there is very much an anti-supernatural bias. And what we need to understand is that we are influenced by our culture sometimes more than what we realize. There's a story about two fish that are swimming along in the water and uh, they're swimming along and, and an older fish is swimming towards them. And the older fish says to these two younger fish, how's the water, boys? And they swim on and one fish says to the other, what in the world is water? And see, the anti-supernatural bias of our culture is the air that we breathe. It is all around us, and our culture influences us more than what we, more than what we possibly understand. This is why, for instance, we don't pray more. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. But how many of us, instead of, instead of defaulting to prayer, we default to ourselves. We try to figure it out ourselves, make it happen ourselves. It's not natural for most of us to immediately default to prayer. Why? It's, it's, it's because we, we don't really, at the deepest level, at, the, at a heart level, we know in our heads we believe 
God exists and we believe God is at work and yes, we believe God answers prayer, but like we have to, we have to unlearn the anti-supernatural bias that we've just absorbed from our culture and, and learn to immediately go to the Lord in prayer and expect God to work in supernatural ways. It's, it's why we are so so un- unaware of just the whole unseen realm that is, that, that is around us. We, we sit down and we work on a computer and you know, we, we maybe we're doing work and we're typing or we're looking at the internet or whatever. Like we're unaware there's a whole program that's happening, right, that we're not seeing. We walk into a room. Most of us do not notice the furniture. I have one friend who's in the furniture business. He probably notices the furniture. But most of us, when we walk into a room, like our eyes are just not immediately drawn to the furniture. It's, it's there. What we need to understand is that the biblical writers are very aware of the unseen furniture. They're very aware of it. And sometimes it comes to the forefront. And what we need to understand is that there's a whole unseen realm that is no less real because we can't see it. And we need to learn how to think supernaturally and live supernaturally and pray as if God is at work in supernatural ways. Live that way and pray that way, expecting God to work in supernatural ways. There's a third takeaway. Become a messenger yourself. Angels are messengers from God. And earlier we saw where we have something in common with the angels. We too are sent by God with a message from God, the message of the gospel, or a message of ministry and encouragement. I mean, what if you woke up every morning and said, Lord, I don't know what awaits me today. I don't know exactly what conversations I'm gonna have, what people you're gonna bring across my path. It may be people who don't know Jesus yet who need to hear the gospel from somebody like me. It may be, it may be people who are discouraged and hurting the need to hear a word of encouragement and comfort from me. They need somebody to stop and care and engage with them. It may be a believer that needs discipleship, that needs to grow, that needs encouragement. But Lord, I don't know what today holds, but I know that you've, I'm, an, I'm an agent of yours and that you can use me today. And Lord, I'm available to you. Do you believe God would answer that prayer? God will absolutely answer that prayer. We are all sent by him with with messages from him, with a message on a mission. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to be open every day to to wake up asking you to use us wherever you send us 
in the course of the day. Whoever you bring across our path. Lord, whatever conversations we're involved in. Lord, help us to look at life this way. That you've sent us. That you've, you've given us the message. That you desire to use us and to speak through us. And to work in and through our lives in supernatural ways. Lord, make us more people of prayer so that, that we default to prayer instead of to self-reliance. Because we're so in tune with and aware that, that you are that you desire to, to work in, 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 in ways that only you can work, in supernatural ways. Lord, help us to believe and act on your message. Lord, help us to beware of an anti-supernatural bias. You have called us, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And Lord, help us to become your messengers ourselves. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 